Guys, I get up to preach, and I'm somewhere between, like, nervous, clammy hands and a heart that's just so excited to preach God's Word uh, because it's really good. And today we're talking about one of my very—no, it is my very favorite thing to talk about. Uh, Not complicated, but incredibly important. Something that, whether we think we answer it or not, we do. Something that literally affects everything every part of our being. Uh, What we do, who we are, it's a good question. It is, who is Jesus? You've heard that, maybe? I hope so. You're hearing it today. Uh, We're going to talk about the way John, John the Baptist, answers this question. Well, John asks the question, and Jesus answers the question. I want to start out just thinking about maybe an opportunity we have as we ask the question, who is Jesus? Uh, An opportunity because I think what we're going to see in the text is that this question is posed and that people try to answer it and we find some false expectations And we find some hearts that are offended by it. And I see both of those today. Maybe you do too. Like, is Jesus, is Jesus' identity confusing to people? Yes. Yes, it is. Like, Like, if we just think about maybe some popular examples. Like, some people might just think that Jesus was a really good guy, but he wasn't God. Uh, And maybe that he just, like, lived a good life that we should sort of follow. You, you heard that one? Maybe, maybe you've come across some thinking that Jesus just wants to validate me. God just wants to be ha- me to be happy, right? Or maybe some think of Jesus as like uh, a get-out-of-hell-free card because hell isn't nice, but Jesus is. We're nice in the Midwest. Some think of Jesus as a therapist, just who, who kind of gets me out of hard stuff. There are false expectations about who he is. Uh, and there's also offense. Uh, like when the secular creed, which is all about people, it's very people-centered, when that meets the God-man who is For the good of people and for the glory of God, there is a a crash, isn't there? We know it. So everyone has to answer this question, as did the Jews, right? The Jews were the first people who had to answer this question. They were the ones Jesus came to. The Jews wanted a Messiah, if you remember. A Messiah, this idea that a, a Savior would come and free Israel from the Roman Empire. Maybe they're going to make Israel great again, but we have all sorts of people who are going to come at Jesus and watch what he does. Let's read, guys. This is good. If you're able, go ahead and stand. We are in Luke chapter 7, verse 18. We have a long text today, so stretch And here we go. It says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, 
sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to them, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of woman, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you didn't weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he is a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say to him, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. All right, go ahead, take a seat. Uh, Because we want a supernatural understanding of this, let's pray. Jesus, uh, we want eyes to see We want ears to hear. Help us see and help us hear. God, our hearts are naturally dead and we need them them to be reborn. We want to walk in newness of life and we need your help for that. So help us, God. Help us to understand who you are. Help us to know you uh, intimately as, as friend, as Lord. Please show us yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John's big question. Jesus, Jesus, are you the one? Uh, We we see this twice, don't we? First, uh, in verse 19, then again in verse 20. Take a look. I I wonder why why would this be so redundant? And I think it's just because it's that important, isn't it? Luke writes it twice. So John sends his disciples. He asks. He's trying to figure out. He's studying. And let's just think about where John the Baptist is for a moment. Right, right now, 
John has come out of a very successful ministry. He had big crowds, attention was baptizing people, there was repentance going on, and right now, John is in prison. Okay, so one guy who seemed to be at first uh, comfortable and confident, who said, behold, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, is now going, is this really the guy? And I just think this is something we can relate to, right? If Jesus is really the one, well, why are bad things still happening? Doesn't, it, doesn't the Messiah save us? I'm in prison right now. Jesus, do we need to keep looking? Um, may, maybe your heart once was all ablaze with faith, and now you're just kind of like a little weary, a little worn down. Jesus, are you the one? Well, I just love that Jesus, like, he doesn't first respond by, like, typing fiery words of justice in the Facebook comment box. Look at this. There's an hour of compassionate action right? He heals one guy's disease. Blind people are all of a sudden able to see, and people are hearing things. The poor have good news preached to them. So he's doing things. The compassion of God is on full display. And then read this in verse 22 with me. See what we have here. Jesus did answer them. Hey, go. Tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers cleansed, deaf hear, dead raised, poor have good news preached to them. Man, this just makes me think, hey, if you got a Bible, turn back a few pages to Luke 4. Look at this. Jesus, right at the beginning of his ministry, comes into the synagogue. He unrolls the Isaiah scroll. We're in chapter 4, verse 18. See this. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, what's happening? Jesus is saying, John, John, you know this, man. The kingdom, you know what it looks like in Isaiah? The prophet we've believed, we've read, we've studied. It's here. The kingdom of God really has begun. The time is now, John. So, just, it's it's sweet to notice, and I think it's encouraging for my heart to just recognize that, like, Jesus goes to Scripture to show John who he is, right? Like, the Son of God, the author of the Word, goes to the Word. I think this is good to know and good to believe that the testimony of the Bible really is enough for us to see who Jesus is. So as we're trying to ask, who is Jesus? We're going to first look in Scripture. It's our foundation, right? It's authoritative, inerrant, inspired. And there's also, right after verse 22, a strange blessing. Look at this in 23. Let's make sense of it if we can. Jesus says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
Okay, so two things to know. First, blessing here. It's, it's not measured by money or accomplishments or who we know. It is based off of one's response to Jesus, right? So that's blessing. Let's talk barriers. There are barriers of offense that exist and that do prevent people, they might prevent us from recognizing Jesus' rule and reign. Okay? Let's, let's think of, of, of modern-day barriers. Uh, just, just two I, I, I wrote down quick. One, let, let's say the testimony of churches, right? Like people who have been deeply wounded by other people who claim to know Jesus may have a barrier to faith that is uh, church hurt in some, some terms, right? That, that could be a barrier. What else? Maybe sin, right? Like unrepentant sin that lingers is a barrier that keeps people from coming to know Jesus. <laughs> Blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus. So I, I mean, just maybe a quick point for application. If we believe Jesus is the one, we have to get really good at recognizing barriers in our hearts that try to rise and in others so that we can break them down. We, we pray for barriers to break and for the kingdom to come, okay? I think we'll talk about this more as we keep going, but let's, let, let's think about this. The prophets, uh, Isaiah and others, talked taught that the Messiah would heal the sick, that he would give sight to blind people, that he would preach to the poor. And and when Jesus is doing all of these things, his response to John's doubt isn't harsh. It's, John, John, come see. Come see. He's breaking down a barrier come see. And maybe we note too that John, this guy who was mighty and grand, the greatest of men, a wonderful prophet, John the Baptist struggled with doubt. Huh? Yeah, he did. So Christian, expect that you will too. And and I think it's good to remember that doubt is not the opposite of belief, right? Unbelief is the opposite of belief. Doubt is not. So, we don't, we don't stay in doubt. We have, to, we have to push through. But Christian, take heart, take hope. Your doubts don't disprove your faith. Guys, let's see what Jesus says about John. This doubting man of faith. Jesus gives a commentary on him. The first thing I noticed, like, what sort of guy is John? He was different, y'all. He was kind of weird, right? This dude in the wilderness wearing this strange cloak, eating bugs. He wasn't a wishy-washy wimp of a dude. 
He wasn't a reed shaken by the wind. He wasn't wearing soft clothes in some splendid palace. He wasn't a fad, right? Like fads happen in luxury and comfort, not in the wild. (laughs) Uh, He was different. Jesus says that he was a prophet, and he also says that John was more than just a prophet. It's kind of interesting. He falls right at this uh, kind of climax of history where, where John had a ministry that functions sort of like a hinge between the Old Testament and New, well, really the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, where we see that John's ministry preceded and then overlapped a little bit with Jesus' own, Okay. So, he was the greatest man, and yet, Jesus kind of like juxtapositions it uh, with the fact that John is the least among those who are in the kingdom. What, what does that mean? If, if John was less than those in the kingdom of God, I think, I think it's good to just uh, maybe go to our own experience with this. Like, we... <laughs> church family, we're not like famous like John the Baptist. We haven't done the awesome sort of faith works that he has, but there are some like uh, package of privileges that we have and experience that, that John didn't, right? Like we know that death isn't a paralyzing thing anymore. Like we see that Jesus was the prototype of resurrection and we get to partake in that. That's good. We experience the perfect sympathy and presence of Jesus, like his nearness to us in our difficulties, and that's not something that John had. We see the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in our hearts and others, and uh, that's because the Spirit of God dwells in his people now, that we have become temples of the living God. John didn't experience that the same way as we did. So, Jesus gives a, a couple things about John in order to invite people into this kingdom that he says is now. That makes sense. Right? Like, if John's the prophet, the great prophet, Jesus has got to be the Messiah. The question we find then is how are the people, like, how is the generation of Jews going to respond? To Jesus, like if he's the one, what's the response? So now we go to the to about the generation, and Jesus gives a diagnosis, which it includes themes of like unmet expectations, right, and of offense. <laughs> and he, he he plays it out in a parable of two children, which is kind of interesting. So first we have what I'm going to call like the spoiled children. This group uh, is to describe the generation, and it describes the generation like uh, kids who can only play if they make the rules. We're going to play the flute. We want you to dance. We're going to sing a sad song. We want you to cry. If you're not doing that, we don't, wanna, we don't want any part of this. So what happens? We, when the Messiah comes in marching to the beat of a different drum, 
the generation, the, the spoiled children are lost and offended and exposed. They're exposed for what they really want. <laughs> They're not interested in a Messiah who fulfills God's purposes and plans, but they want a Messiah who just is going to champion their own cause. That Jesus is a lot more palatable. They want a God who acts a lot like them, a God who plays by their rules. Okay? It's dangerous. And this, I mean, this is revealed by two reactions. So first, uh, in verse 33, we have how they received John. Wasn't great. John, you're wild. You're kind of this like ultra-conservative zealot. Uh, you've got a demon. He's out there. They reject him. Jesus, how do they receive Jesus? This is verse 34. Jesus, well, you're feasting, you're eating with tax collectors, sinners, people who aren't acceptable and appropriate. You must be a glutton and a drunkard. There's a double standard that opposes godliness in two ways. We see that? They can't, I mean, in one sense, they just can't win, right? Like John and Jesus, feasting, no, we had feasting, fasting, both are rejected. And and the problem, (laughs) the problem isn't ultimately either one of those things. It's not even, in some sense, the problem isn't ultimately with John or Jesus. It's with the heart of the generation, the, the generation that has rejected the purpose of God. Okay, that's the, that's the spoiled children. But we have one other kind, and this is in verse 35. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So we have wisdom's children, Wisdom here, I think, is the personification of God in his wisdom. And these children, uh, really, in the language of what we read in verse 29, are the ones who justify the purposes of God, who declare God just. These are wisdom's children. Where there's, they come, and there's not a bargaining. There's no sort of, well, I'll give my life to you, Jesus, if you give me blank. Like, there's not that. They are coming to the Messiah on his own terms. It's an embracing of the plan of God. It's submission. It's what we call faith, right? And it is very good. So here's, I think, the, the core of the text. This is big picture. That those who believe in Jesus, those who believe Jesus is the Messiah, despite the rejection of many people, are blessed. Okay? Those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, despite the rejection of many, are blessed. And let, let's kind of draw a couple things from this for applying. Uh, three, three points for application. How about that? First one is believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It, like, we know that a lot of people do reject Jesus. Um, they, they reject his story and his claims. And, and even some people, which we think should, like, you have the right upbringing, the right credentials, from pastors to professors to, I mean, whoever it is, 
Some people who should, who look like they should believe the gospel might reject him. So we, we put that together with what we experience in life that is just situations that are difficult. And, and it, it can make belief very hard. Okay? We, we know that. We've experienced this. And, and it's kind of the, the thought of like, well, Jesus, if there is so much evil and sin and death and sickness in the world, like, I don't like that. If you're really on the throne, what's going on? Like, what gives? Or, or maybe it's Jesus, like, I want to trust you, but my friends are just kind of leaving me. I, I don't know what to do about that. Like, that makes me feel alone, and that's hard. Or maybe it's like, Jesus, I'm just really stressed out. Where are you? I don't feel that. We, we have experiences. Uh, I think there are things we need to remember. And, and we need to remember first just Jesus' patience for hearts which are uh, doubters, right? Like Jesus was patient with John. And, and sometimes like, like John, like, like Jesus helps John remember we have to look to the scriptures, right? Like the Bible is beautiful. We need eyes to see it, Okay. It is good. It is full of good news, and we need to find it. So we use the word. Um, and, and just think, like, something, I guess, from my experience is if, if there is doubt in my heart, and, and when, I, when I feel like may, maybe, maybe God's love isn't around, I, I have to, like, center my mind on the cross, and because that's where all the proof is, guys. Right? Like, if it's, well, does God really love us? Look at the cross. <laughs> he gave his son. It, does God really hate evil, or is it just going to kind of, no, he does. Look at the cross. Look at the wrath that the Son of God endured for us. Will God really make things right again? He will. <laughs> Look at the cross place for our justification. It's good to remember the cross and to remember that the tomb is empty. So, so believe and believe that, believe even though many reject him. Some people reject Jesus and that can be discouraging right? Like if you have a friend or a family member, someone close to you, who is just like systematically or repeatedly denied what is the gospel, that's discouraging, okay? Uh, and maybe even if you see a, like a pastor or some sort of public figure who has just kind of left behind, like, I, you know, I just I don't believe that anymore. That is discouraging, right? So, so what do we do? Also, let's, let's realize that we, if we're really Jesus' people, we will be rejected too. Um, I mean, like, kids, maybe in school you're the Christian, so you're going to be left out of conversations or of friend groups. That's real, and that's hard. Or, or like, maybe at work 
you're the like holier than thou one, so that kind of shoves you at arm's length from everyone. That's real. That's hard. And the call is to believe even though many reject him. And maybe it's a call to keep believing even though many reject him. The, I think the hope here is in the last application. So we, we know that people will reject him. We experience that. Our hope is that if we believe Jesus is the one, we are blessed. And this is a different sort of blessing uh, than the world would expect, but it's real. So Christian, just have faith, have courage. I, I just think, like, brothers and sisters, the world, uh, like, the tragic world doesn't know what you're worth. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but Jesus does. See, that's in the eyes of the risen Messiah, you are welcomed. You're not rejected. You are loved and not cast out. It's good. And, and, and really, like, we, we just, for our church, church family, like, if Jesus welcomes us, we want to put in practice what Paul writes, like, welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed you. That's it. So we see a, a welcoming that is for us in Jesus, and we see a welcoming that is for us, all people in his church, okay? It's good. So, uh, man, I was just having such a good conversation the other day on the necessity of churches being places for hospitality. Because not every church is. Guys, we've got to be. Like, that, that can't be a negotiable. <laughs> we have to welcome each other. And, and there, there's layers to that. We will fail at that. We have failed at that. But we have to increase in hospitality. Not just like the invite people over to your home for cookies, but in the, like, we need to know people. We need to, know, to, to be known by people so that we can know Jesus together. Okay, so church, let's embrace that vision of Christ-centered hospitality and let's believe when there's rejection of Jesus, of us, that those who believe Jesus is the Messiah really are blessed. It's a... It's a helpful thing, uh, just to, to have our identity and confidence so rooted in Jesus that we don't need the praise of other people. Yeah. All right. Let's pray for that. Father, uh, we, we want to be a people that are thrilled in relationship with you, and we want to be a people which love you so much, uh, which are increasing in faith so that uh, rejection by others doesn't sting. Help us to love mightily, even as you love us mightily. Uh, yeah, God, please give us grace to understand your word, um, to remember it through the week and when we, when we need it.
help our hearts uh, to believe. Um, and, and even through doubt, not to be overcome by unbelief. Father, we, we love you. We, we just, as a church, we submit to your purpose for things uh, by the blood of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.